and we have a very different approach than sort of what the outdoor cycling community looks at. They they take they take a functional threshold power, that which is your two by twenty I mentioned before, and then they base the zones on a percentage basis off of those. In the book, I talk about how instead of creating zones that way, we have three zones: endurance climbing power and explosive power. Hi, this is Amy, the Senior Group Fitness Instructor at the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Are you looking for a spark of inspiration to bring to your next class? Find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Gene Nacy's joining me. He has a new ebook, iBook, depending on the type of reader you're using, and it's called The Indoor Cycling Compendium for Power Training. Hi, Gene. Hey, John. How did you come up with that name? Actually, I did a little Facebook uh, survey and um, had a few choices and sent it out over a period of a couple weeks, and um, it wasn't a big scientific survey, but most of the responses were pretty heavily towards this name. I like the aspect of the word compendium because I tried to cover every aspect related to power since it's such an effort to do one of these. I wanted to do it thoroughly if I was going to do it at all. We're going to focus on what is Chapter 16 of a very exhaustive compendium, I might add. Briefly, just give someone an overview of you know, what they will find if they uh, purchase and download this book. Well, the, there's um, probably three main thrusts of the book. One is covering the equipment, and that's everything from the bikes that are now being sold with power on them for indoor cycling, which you know, four years ago was maybe one bike, and now there's, I think, 12 or 13 covered. Um, so that covering that thoroughly, plus the consoles, plus power meters that are used for outdoor cycling because they're related. So there's an equipment focus. There's also a very heavy um, focus on what is power, sort of the physiology, how it relates to heart rate, and all the aspects that you would want to know sort of from a, from a training perspective, how to train with power. And then the third thrust is how to really teach with power, how to, uh, what kind of tools you would use for testing, for um, tracking, how you would present it in class. So I would probably say being an instructor myself, maybe 60% of my orientation and thought process through this, uh, the writing of the book was oriented towards instructors. All right. Well, and as instructors that are teaching with power, one of the early struggles that we have is helping our participants understand what their numbers should be. And within chapter 16, you're talking about different options for testing for personal threshold power, functional threshold power. And so why don't we just roll through some of your thoughts on that, you know, starting with what is kind of the gold standard, I guess is the right way to use that, you know, that 20 minute maximum sustainable. Um, how do you, how do you, well, first, if you want to describe it and sure. then 
whether you see it as applicable to what we're doing indoors. Right. Well, I, I start out with the, um, in, in chapter 16, which is called power testing and validation, that the uh, 20 minute interval is sort of the norm for determining functional threshold power. And, you know, more precisely doing two of those with a short recovery in between and then taking 5% off the average is sort of the outdoor cycling gold standard. And it's, it's moved its way indoors. It's being done in many places that train with power um, or some variation. But for sure, the 20-minute period to sustain power really is um, seen as what your you know, functional threshold power is and what I call in the book maximum sustainable power. And the only reason I've given it a little bit of a different name is I want to try to avoid uh, readers from comparing everything that's written here to everything they've read anywhere else because uh, there is terminology in, in the power world. And I don't want to uh, you know, step on anyone's toes. There's been a lot of work and a lot of research done before me, and I'm, I'm not going to you know, try to steal anyone else's thunder. So this has been a focus on on our environment indoors specifically. For example, I make a point when we talk about the 20-minute and any of our tests, by the way, uh, are, so when we're talking about the 20-minute maximum sustainable power that we address, well, what's that like for uh, what I would call a recreational cyclist or a newbie, someone that's, that's not done a, maybe not done any riding outside or, or done just a very little. To ask them to do a 20-minute power test may be pretty darn hard. Or, or intimidating. Or for intimidating, that. that's right. And may take the fun away from it, which we definitely don't want to do if we want them to come back. So, so I actually advocate starting with, it could be as, as small as six minutes and work up to say 15 over you know, a, a few weeks time, eventually getting to a 20 minute test. And, and certainly rather than starting with a two by 20, just trying to get to one 20 minute period. As we have different levels in each class, in each of these tests, I try to address the different level cyclists and how they can make adjustments when they're trying to present this to a mixed class. But I don't want to forget about the competitive and elite athletes. Also, we want them to see that this is really solid training for, uh, for, their, for their cycling and for their performance out, outdoors. And of course, I address that as well. As I read through your list here, you're talking about the 20-minute maximum and then or a, uh, what What's your 6 by 20 minute? Well, 6 by 20, I'm not sure. What it says that. conducting a 6 by 20-minute maximum. That might have been a typo. Maybe that's a typo. <laughs> oh, six, six, oh, conducting 6-20, which, which means anywhere between six minutes and 20 minutes. Got it. Okay. So how, so is that something that you're going to look at your class's ability experience? Right. And, so what kind of pick so from that? One of the ways you might introduce this is we're going to do a 20 minute test, but some of you, this would not be appropriate for, it would be too much too quickly. So for those of you that aren't quite ready for a 20 minute test, I want you to pick something between six and 10 minutes. And at the end of that period, let's say you, you select eight minutes, you can take a look at your power or start to, you know, pull it back and cool down till we finish the 20 minute test. Or you could do that for the whole class. You could just say today, we're just going to do an eight minute test. 
And over the next several weeks, we're going to increase it till we get to 20 minutes. So you could, you could do it like everyone together, or you can, if you feel that you can segregate it within the class, you can do it. And part of that, that heading you just read was, uh, so that the protocol, in other words, how to, what the methodology would be, how you introduce it, um, how you prepare, you know, in the warm up and that sort of thing. Some of the, the details, I make sure that, that the details are here so someone can actually hit the ground running with it right in class. All right. Now, but you're, and you're also offering options for shorter, three to five or even one to two minutes. Yeah. And I'll, on those tests, those are not your sort of your, you know, your long or your endurance. What we call that, we call that the endurance power. When you start to move into like our next set of tests is the, the three to five minute test. And it's either a three or a five minute climbing power test. Those are specifically focused on climbing power. And one of the main thrusts in, in how we talk about power in the book is that power just isn't a, a general concept, but power is very specific to what you're using it for, and that's directly related to how long you have to sustain it. In fact, so give me, so give me an example. For, for example, if I'm going to be doing, um, if I'm a competitive cyclist and I'm going to do a time trial that's going to last for, you know, uh, let's say it's a 10-mile time trial or a 15-mile time trial, I, wanna, I want sustainable power. I want to have my 20-minute power really be at its best. If I'm a competitive cyclist and I'm in races that I know most of the, the leaders drop the pack in the climbs, I'm going to probably focus on my three- to five-minute power so I get stronger there and don't get dropped. There... The 20-minute power may not be as important because I might have the ability to draft with teammates or even off other people. So depending, now that's from a competitive standpoint. Take the average cyclist, maybe someone training for the MS-150. If you're in a flatter state, you are likely going to be oriented towards the 20-minute power, the longer power. Here in Pennsylvania, I'm training a group for the MS-150. The first day is very hilly. Second day not nearly as hilly, but they've got to get through the first day. So we will definitely be doing a fair amount of three to five minute climbing. Otherwise, they'll start out with a big group, but they'll end up with a few folks in their, say, area or level of, of riding. So if they want to stay with more riders or have the option to drop back if they want to with some friends, they want to get stronger in those climbs. So it's, it's important to identify the type of power you're going to need and it's always related to the length of time you have to sustain it for. Help me understand, though, if, if I have a participant in my class that is not a cyclist, how do I decide or, or does, does this become um, a training objectives for particular classes? For the, those that are not cyclists, a 20, so let's just, just for, let's just say for pure fitness to be you know, a, a more fit individual. I would usually advocate for a 20-minute power because, in general, that's going to have more applicability to, you know, overall, say, fitness. Because a lot of the three- to five-minute or the shorter power bursts are going to have you be in much higher heart zones. It's very similar to HIIT training, and I know you've done, sesh, uh, you know, podcasts on, you know, high-intensity training and some of the concepts behind that. And... So that's great for 
more short-term effects and um, you know those those in, intense efforts. But if you're a type of person who wants to just be what Sally Edwards likes to call 360 fit, or was it uh, you know 365 fit that all year all year round I can participate in almost any sport because I'm fit enough. Then a 20 minute power is more applicable. So you don't have to necessarily be riding, but what type of fitness are you looking for? What type of you know endurance, especially, uh, are you looking for? And that would be the longer term. Field tests like this are typically used for the creation of training zones. Are you exploring that as well? We discuss power zones and, and for training zones, and we have a very different approach than sort of what the outdoor cycling community looks at. They, they, t- they take a functional threshold power, that, which is your 2 by 20 I mentioned before, and then they base the zones on a percentage basis off of those. In the book, I talk about how instead of creating zones that way, we have three zones, endurance, climbing power, and explosive power. And those are directly related to the length of time and the uses or the the times you would use that type of power. So we have a a power zone chart. For example, I'm right now looking at the three to five minute uh, section of the chart and it talks about the use of this power zone or the climbing power zone is used for climbing, breakaway efforts, or chasing attacks. It requires a greater amount of strength and muscular conditioning than, say, the endurance power zone and less than the explosive power zone. So if I'm not a racer, it still could be useful for, say, a club ride where I might want to ride with the, the faster group on one night or my Friends are typically, you know, getting ahead of me. I want to be able to stay with them better without working quite as hard as I have been. So you, you have to look at the type of power that you want, where it's most applicable, and those are our zones. So we just split it up into, into time frames. And I think it's more applicable. I would say overall it's more applicable to a recreational or avid cyclist than say a competitive cyclist. Um, although there's plenty of analogies in here where how you would use them for racing. I'm trying to make it as practical and useful as possible by someone thinking about, well, what kind of power am I going to need in this big event I'm training for, be it a charity ride or a, a vacationing tour? Got it. All right. So am I hearing you say that you're really focused on three zones three zones and what we we've, we've done in those zones we've broken it up by watts per pound so we spend a you know a good chapter talking about the power to weight ratio and how important it is that watts outside of flat riding which you know the most watts wins when you're on a flat ground once you start to climb it's all about power to weight ratio so our, for example, our endurance zone starts at 0.5 or half your weight in watts. So I weigh 160. So 0.5 for me is 80 watts. So it starts there and goes up to 1.5. So one watt a pound is 160. 1. 1.5 is 160 plus 80. So that's 240. So that's the range of watts 
in watts per pound in the endurance, aerobic endurance zone. So when I do my 20-minute maximum sustainable power test, I'm going to find which one of those levels do I fall in. So if I, let's say I fall in the 0.9 range. So then I'll have a goal to get to, say, 1.0 or 1.1. I'll try to move up that, that uh, zone to, to give myself you know, more power for my endurance-type power. So each of the zones is split up that way. So, for example, climbing starts at 1.0, and there's a whole discussion about how that's uh, the, what we call a gateway to outdoor riding, and we've talked about that, I think, in the past. Absolutely. So 1.0 watts per pound, that goes up to 2.25. That's the climbing range of uh, watts per pound. And then our final zone is the explosive zone, which is also anaerobic tolerance or explosive power. That starts at 1.25 and goes up to 3 watts per pound. And there are you know, competitive cyclists that will go, when it comes to explosive power, say for sprinting or attacks, they'll generate way more than 3 watts per pound. But these are for like you know, 15-second efforts, 30-second efforts. Our smallest effort here represented in the book is one minute because it's hard to measure below a minute with most of the indoor bikes, um, especially those indoor bikes that have calculated power. Where you have measured power, and some of the bikes do have measured power, you could get closer to those shorter uh, explosive power efforts. But because that's not so universal yet indoors, I've kept it to uh, the lowest time period being a minute. I'm trying to get you know, readers to think, where do I need it? How long do I need it for? And then relating it to their, to their weight and watts per pound for climbing in general. And you are out there in hill country. I am. And, and that, that is definitely, uh, you know, a bias, but I also, you know, have mentioned in the book that if, if you're never doing any climbing and always doing flat riding, unless you're say competing in time trials, you know, I'm not sure power is you know, the only way to train, I would probably spend as much time training heart rate as I would power if you're in a flat state, because so much of that, you know, is going to be in the endurance and aerobic uh, capacity side when you're uh, dealing a lot with, with flats. I said, un unless you're a serious time trials and competitor, then it's going to be all about the endurance power, of course. Exactly. Now, there's another um, section in this chapter that you describe as the faster you go, the harder it gets. What are you talking about there? We're talking about the exponential nature of power. You know, power is not linear. And so uh, there's such a thing as a power curve. And it's an exponential type curve that one of the easiest ways to think about it is when you if you get on a bike with with a power meter, and you start to turn up the resistance or if it has gear numbers, you'll notice in the, you know, through the warm up in the, in the first, you know, 100 watts or so, you can really turn that quite a bit or you could, the number of gears really can go up, uh, you know, to maybe 10 or 12 or whatever, depending on, you know, the, you know, the number of gears you have, but it takes quite a bit. But then when you get to a certain point, every little turn is harder and a lot harder. And the more power you generate, the harder it gets yet. So the, the long and short of it is the harder it becomes, I mean, the faster you go, the harder it becomes. 
to go faster still. So it just, it, it becomes um, limiting in and of itself because of that, that exponential nature of power. Well said. You know, I've had this discussion in the past about, you know, the difference between the, mag the newer magnetic resistance bikes and the older friction and how, you know, it's my view that the magnetic bikes provide that curve. Yes, yes, absolutely. And the, the, where the friction bikes um, are somewhat stagnant. More linear. And, correct. Yeah. And are less like being outside because it, uh, <laughs> I'm not an engineer, but I do understand that the, the force of the wind or the force of moving through the air um, gets exponentially harder as you go faster. Right. And uh, I had a post up there where I think it was it, to ride at uh, 25 miles an hour takes 300 watts. But to ride at 30 miles an hour, just five miles an hour faster, takes 500 watts. Right. That's a great, yeah. a great example. A great example. <laughs> right. There's a certain point where it costs so much more to go that little bit extra faster. And that's a lot of what, in other chapters, I talk about efficiency. I, and in, in my own teaching and training, I really focus a lot on efficiency because there is that certain point where you're going to work so much harder for such a little bit of extra benefit. If you could find out where that point is and just stop shy of it, think how much further you can go, how much longer you'll last before you get fatigued, that it, it can develop tremendous benefits. Absolutely. You know, you talk about charity rides and, and this is something else I've talked about is that I learned over time that, you know, Amy and I in our tandem, I can sit, we can sit out front for hours as long as I don't exceed 156 beats per minute for heart rate. Yep. Yep. As soon as I push harder to keep up with somebody, you know, we're toast after 10 minutes. Good, good example. So you've learned over, over time and experience where that point is. And that's all of our efficiency tests that we cover in here uh, are focused on trying to find that point. And, and at, at different stages in your training too, what you want to happen is that point moves up, which is cool. That's what you want to happen. But by testing and retesting, you get to stay in touch with it, be aware of it. So the other thing in this chapter, by the way, um, we round out this chapter with validating our training and validating our equipment, which is part of the process. And I wanted to make sure I mentioned that because we spent, I don't know what, half a dozen posts or so at um, ICI Pro on the uh, research I was doing with the vector pedals. And, uh, you know, I touch on it a little bit here without, you know, going over the whole thing again, but just making sure that whatever, whatever training you're doing, it's important to validate that that training is working. So, and you can validate indoors and you can validate outdoors. And I encourage people to, to do both because at the end of the day, nothing's more frustrating than feeling like you wasted your time or you, you spent so, you know, so many days or weeks or whatever training a certain way for a certain effect and then that effect not happening. So if you always have an eye for validation, you'll baseline your training, you'll perform whatever the drills are that are called for in that training, and then you'll post, you know, do a performance test and make sure that what, I, you know, what you were doing really did work. Or if it didn't work as well, maybe it didn't work as well as you'd like, change something. Don't keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. 
That's Einstein's definition of insanity, by the way. To that point, what do you recommend for follow-up testing, you know, as far as frequency? I usually say that somewhere between six and eight weeks, you should be able to see a, uh, what I, you know, an adaptation, a physiological adaptation to your training. And that means six or eight weeks of regularly applying whatever the drill was that was designed for you, that you designed for yourself through reading and you come up with a plan that you do it for at least six to eight weeks with some, you know, frequency per week. And you must do a baseline test and you must do the same exact test as far as possible with everything being equal at the end of that six to eight weeks. And I provide a lot of, um, you know, samples and, and even spreadsheets with this um, book. But you can, I also want to encourage people to do their own. But the important thing is pre and post testing and that they, they, they follow a regiment um, through those six or eight weeks. And that's one of the things that made me fall in love with indoor cycling and why I still love indoor cycling is it's the most controlled environment possible to execute the training. I think it's fun. I actually do a lot of my validation outside too. Sometimes I'll, I'll do a route outdoors, do a lot of my training indoors on you know, certain aspects of training, and then I'll validate it by doing that same route outdoors again. So I know it made the difference where I spend a lot of my time, which is, of course, outdoors as well. The book is called The Indoor Cycling Compendium for Power. And uh, to simplify things, I'll just set up a link that's indoorcycleinstructor.com forward slash power ebook. And that will take you right to the uh, information page that Gene has for where you can find this. Quickly, how, how much does the ebook cost? Uh, right now, just so folks know, also we have um, pre orders going on. So they can save $10. The iBook will sell for $34.95. But until it's released, which is scheduled right now for the end of the month, the iBook is $24.95. And if you don't have a Mac or an iPad, the um, ebook will also be available. It will be $24.95, but it can be pre-ordered on our site for $19.95. Well, Gene Nacy from Cycling Fusion, I want to thank you for this, and I really appreciate the work that you do helping keeping us all right on top of power training. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast, the voice of indoor cycling. You can find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com, and we're in the iTunes Music Store. Search Indoor Cycling and subscribe to our free podcast. Now, if you're like most instructors, you're struggling with finding the time to create the perfect class profile and the music playlist to go with it. If that sounds like you, consider a premium subscription to ICI Pro. We've done all the work for you. Inside ICI Pro, you'll find the largest collection of comprehensive class profiles for teaching conventional classes, classes featuring heart rate, and also power. Contributed by the most diverse collection of master trainers and rock star instructors on the planet. Every profile includes a complete music playlist we guarantee your class will enjoy. Combine ICI Pro with Spotify and you could be ready to teach an awesome class in minutes. 
visit IndoorCycleInstructor.com forward slash pro and start your no-risk trial subscription today.